I'm gonna let you start. <laughs> no, listen, I'm not really ready. I'm I'm not worthy, everybody. That's why I'm having a moment. Um, everyone, welcome to Faded Mates. It is a big day here. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. I'm Jen Prokop. I'm a romance reader and critic, and we have I mean, I don't know. Susan Elizabeth Phillips, the great, the is great. with us. Today. Pull yourselves together, ladies. <laughs> you gotta let me have this one. I know. <laughs> this is the best thing that's happened to me all day. I love it. You know, I get no recognition from my family, my kids, my grandkids. No. So I need this. So, you know, any fawning you want to do, just send them my way. I'm good. <laughs> you guys, she she got on the Zoom and I like kind of lost my mind for a minute. I was like, you just <laughs> need to let me have this. I <laughs> Oh, you guys are the best. <laughs> so Susan knows this and a lot of you listeners know this, but um, Susan is I mean, a Faded Mate's favorite. We read Nobody's Baby But Mine in season two when we were talking about the books that blooded us and the books that we think are really cornerstone sort of examples of how the genre can be amazing and can do a ton of work. Um, Nobody's Baby But Mine is my, one of my, like, top, top, top favorite romance novels of all time. We'll put links and show notes to that episode. You should, if you haven't read it um, and done the deep dive episode on that, you should. But we are here because the Chicago stars continue. Susan, you came back. You came back to the Chicago stars. You know, we talk about unreliable narrators in fiction. I'm just an unreliable (laughs) author. I keep saying this is the last stars book and uh, each one is. And then I see something Um, and, uh, you know, I've said all along, if I can't bring something great to the stars series, I won't do it. Um, But I was going through my files I think all of us authors have idea files and most of the stuff in there is kind of garbage, but every once in a while (laughs) I was going through this and I saw the words opera singer. I just started to laugh (laughs) and I said, this has Chicago stars written all over it. The diva and the quarterback. How can I resist this? Um, There's a slight problem in that. I knew nothing at all about opera. Can't sing a (laughs) note. I don't can't sing a note either, but I have been to the Chicago, the, the lyric, lyric opera. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, mm-hmm. you know what? I might have seen the. Okay, can I like interrupt and tell an opera story? Oh one yeah, my, please. One of my students a million years ago sang with the Chicago Children's Choir, and if you are a Chicagoan, the Chicago Children's Choir is like amazing. And she was she was part of a group of kids that were so great that they needed like a children's choir to sing a part of an opera, but it was at the CSO, which is the Chicago symphony orchestra. Right. So it wasn't like costumed. Like it was just like people in a tuxedos and gowns singing opera at the front. And then she and like, and her kind of crew came out for one part and sang with them. And her parents had an extra ticket and they invited me to go. And I loved it and was completely like to my husband was like, would you ever go to the opera with me? And he was like, no. 
And so, and I'm, you know, I'm not mad, but then I never went. And then it was the pandemic. And now I really am like, you know what I'm going to do this year, everybody? I'm going to go to the opera. opera. Yeah. Yeah. The opera is, my father is Italian, mm. as you both know. um, And he grew up in Verona. And so I grew up in the summers going to Verona and going to the opera in the open air arena. Of course you did. (laughs) Well, I mean, but it's not as glamorous as you would think. It's very like, it's it's Normal. as though you're at a sporting event. There's right, you know, right. people yeah. going by selling beer and paninis and, you know, everything is very, and there's, there's an announcement beforehand that, that in Italian tells you that you should not throw your cushions at the end, you know, <laughs> at the end of the arias and onto the rich people who've bought the expensive tickets below, <laughs> you know, because it, there's something really <laughs> populist about opera yeah, in Italy yeah. that oh. we don't have here. That is so cool. Totally. So it's really fun. And when, and now I live in New York City. And uh, when I turned 40, Eric was like, you know, what do you want to do for your birthday? And I said, I want to go to the opera. And so he was very sweet. And he, you know, really, we did it up. We did it, you know, moonstruck style. We were <laughs> nice. going to go to the opera and I, we dressed and we, you know, wore black tie and we invited friends who were, you know, who also wore black tie. And we got there and we sat through the opera. And at the end, Eric was like, oh my God, that was excruciating. And I'm like, crying. <laughs> <"Cry." laughs> well, oh. So I do think it's, a, it's one of those things that you either just feel it in your soul or you're like, don't really get this. it. Yeah, I and I can go both ways on that. Um, I'm I can't say that I'm a fan, um, but what I love is the drama of it. Yes, and it's like um, it's really the same thing with the Chicago Stars in football. I'll watch. Um, games at the end of the season if the Bears are playing well. That's it. But (laughs) what fascinates me about football and about opera is the the behind-the-scenes stuff. And what kind of people are attracted to being being part of of these two kind of professions? So um, the idea of the opera diva, of course, uh, in When Stars Collide, I have so much tr- t- uh, fun playing with that whole stereotype. And then uh, the professional athlete, what goes into making that up? And all of my athletes, I kind of have to deal with the fact, unless I want them to be 21 years old, which I don't, that they're all nearing the ends of their career. Well, and that's certainly the case with Thad Owens, but not Olivia Ardiva. Right. She no. is just she hitting her forever. stride. Oh, she can hit sing forever. She's just hitting her stride. Um, so it just was a fascinating combination of characters. I love this book. I don't always say that. Um, <laughs> I absolutely love this book. And I think that when the reviews come in, well, we've gotten some wonderful reviews. Um, but I know, I always know with any book I write, some people are going to hate, love it and some are going to hate it. And anybody who hates it, they're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. They're strong. There you oh, go. So here's what, this is a great segue into Susan Elizabeth Phillips's, what I think is like the hallmark of your books. I mean, there are a lot of things that I love about your books. They're hilarious. And every now that I know you, I can hear you in them. And it's just like hanging out with you. And it's like being with a friend. But I want to talk about heroines because I feel like there is a Susan Elizabeth heroine and then there yep. is every other heroine. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
may not um, be all good, you know. <laughs> we think it's pretty great. I think it's pretty great. And I think that what you just said is so much a hallmark of a Susan Elizabeth Phillips heroine, which is they just know themselves. They yeah. know their skills. They know what they want. They know how... They know how they are in the world. They understand what Jen's, Jen and I were talking earlier, and I want Jen to talk a little bit about this, but they understand their like space in the world, their size in the world, and how much space they take up. And I think that is so rare still in, in text. It's interesting what you say, because most of my heroines, all of my heroines are on a journey. They know themselves. They also know their weaknesses yeah, and yeah. Uh, the things that they need to grow. Uh, they don't necessarily know how to do it at the beginning of the book. Uh, but I've always created heroines that have a journey um, because that's, that is just what interests me. I'm not mm-hmm. interested right. in the two-dimensional heroine who is who, who doesn't have any place to go or doesn't have a big enough place to go. And with Olivia in this book, you know, she's suffering from a lot of guilt at the beginning of the book. So you've got that weighing her down and <clears throat> the consequences of that to her career. And then this ambition where she says she wants to be one of the immortals. Um, And that's, that kind of gave me chills when I thought about it, because I don't have that goal in my life. Um, But I thought, boy, that is really cool to have it. It also makes it really difficult to have a partner. Right. Yeah. He's not going to be one of the immortals. He's going to be the backup. And oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and I think that was for me, one of the things that was really interesting about her is that her, she was able to verbalize both to herself and to Thad, like, the journey she's been on with relationships Mm -hmm. and how she, you know, was making herself smaller in some ways, right? And that she was really determined because of these past mistakes with other relationships to not do that again. You know, I was rereading today where she says to Thad, you know, like, at first, you like a woman like me because you think we're, you I, you know, we understand each other. Right. But right. sooner or later, you're going to want me to, like, become second, and I'm not going to do that. And I think I, like, fist-pumped when I read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's so hard. I think even in romance still, a, a deeply ambitious woman is often unsympathetic, and I think she's very sympathetic here. And that is an issue. But the idea, I, I think that I doubt that there is a single woman listening to this who has not, at some point in her life, had someone make her feel smaller. And sometimes it is a man, sometimes it can be the love of your life, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you wrestle with that, uh, that kind of partnership is fascinating to me. Bill and I are coming up on our 50th wedding anniversary. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, in just about a week. And um, boy, you think about the roller coaster of relationships and the idea of, of feeling smaller, which goes in both directions. It just, relationships are fascinating. They are fascinating. So for me, what I thought was so unique about this book, one, I mean, coming back to the stars, you sort of, you've really switched, you flipped the script in so many ways. I mean, because of 
your diva, right? Olivia is the diva and Thad is second string in a different way than, say, Mm -hmm. Cal is second string in Nobody's Baby But Mine, right? Right. Like, he's really going through it over there. But she really (laughs) is the Chicago star. She's the star, yeah. Yeah. I also just want to pause and say that thanks to Roman Mars and 99% Invisible, I now understand that Chicago Stars is has a double oh. meaning. I yeah. did not know so. that Chicago <laughs> Stars was also about your flag. About our flag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Chicago flag, yeah. So I just want to pause and say thanks you guys, I to check show I notes. I listened to a whole TED Talk about it. <laughs> 800 things about the Chicago flag. Yeah. I have not listened to that yet. I'll have to. Well, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but, I mean, I've lived in a lot of cities, and this is the first city I've come to where I was like, you know, when I first moved here, I was like, what's that? And they were like, that's the Chicago, Chicago flag. And I was like, "City, the city has its own flag? And I'm going to tell you, not only does the city have its own flag, the city loves its flag. Oh. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> I, everybody I know has a Chicago flag tattoo. They're on things. I have it on things. It's like a real point of civic pride. So, yeah, it is pretty great. Well, a digression there. My uh, teenage grandson was in an international robotics co- uh, contest, and they ended up going to Turkey for it. And um, the kids on the team uh, marched under the Chicago flag. <laughs> <laughs> and all these international people are coming up and saying, what's that flag? What country are you <laughs> from? Chicago. The country of Chicago. <laughs> That's amazing. So perfect. Yeah. So I mean, so I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that. You you, you talked about, you know, you're an unreliable author because you say you're not going to come yeah. back to the stars, and then you do. But I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the stars as this kind of legendary text. Like, and I want to talk about it, you know, I told you when, when we invited you on that I, I wanted to talk about the whole of Susan Elizabeth Phillips because you're so amazing. Um, and I wonder, can you talk a little bit about the genesis of the stars, and then the writing of it as as you went through. Were you aware of what you were doing back in the day? <laughs> um, and and how does it feel to come back around all these years later and still have them be so alive and relevant? The short answer is I don't look at the big picture. I look mm. at it. I only look at the little picture of That's the individual. That's probably very smart. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think of the Chicago Stars as a legacy. The only thing I'm sensitive about is I was very determined to make sure that every biography I, I have says that I'm the creator of the sports romance. That is the legacy mm-hmm. I want. <laughs> yeah. But the Stars began just with that goofy idea of what would happen if a woman who nothing thing about sports inherited a professional football team okay Mm -hmm. I thought it was hysterical I loved writing that book of course it was it had to be you and uh, which was not my title and um (laughs) wait what was your title I was like what was your title ain't she sweet which I used on a different (gasps) book Oh my gosh, what a good title for it, too. Perfect, because Phoebe in that book, when she's on the sidelines, they play Ain't right. She Sweet and she postures and everything. Um, yeah, but somebody who's no longer the publisher nicks that title <laughs> and stuck it. Had to be. And you look at it. you, you are still here. So. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah, she's, oh, thank you. Um, but 
when I was, so I'm writing that book and toward the beginning of the book, this wide receiver out of Tellerosa, Texas named Bobby Tom Denton pops into the book. He's got this huge ego. Oh, and, yes, he does. Oh, my Lord. And <laughs> I had to know more about him. So that, I went right from that into Heaven, Texas. Heaven, and of course, Texas. there we have the, the little mousy sort of heroine who came from working in a, a nursing home to big, yeah. bad Bobby Tom Denton. That was it. Yeah, and then that's it. I went on and I wrote Kiss an Angel, and then I had this. I started, there's no planning (laughs) here. I love that one. Wait, do you want to pause and talk about Kiss an Angel, Jen? No, I want to hear your story, but I'm not like, but wait, Bobby Tom, but Kiss an Angel, but okay, Kenny the golfer. Like, those are oh, I love Kenny, he was one of my favorite (laughs) heroes. Um, so after I did Kiss an Angel, I um. I started thinking about, you know, there's so this is a, just a regular trope about the woman who's getting older, no partner in her life, and she wants a baby, okay? Mm. I started thinking about that, and I thought, well, what if the woman is a genius? I mean, a real genius. She's not going to want, she had a hard growing up. I mean, she's not going to want that for a baby. She needs somebody really stupid to father this child. And that took me right back to the Chicago Stars. It's so perfect. (laughs) It's the perfect book. It's so insane. (laughs) Crazy. That idea just made me laugh from the very beginning. So, Mm -hmm. and then in that book, all of a sudden we find that there's another Bonner brother. The hero has two brothers. And one of those brothers uh, has a real tragic story. Well, then... I have to write this. So there is Obviously, no... he needs to be he loved. He needs to be loved. There's no master plan here. No. It was just going from book to book. Um, I think the next one then would have been this heart of mine, Kevin Tucker's story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Can't remember what the genesis of that one was. They're all, they just well, had these... Well, he'd been hanging around, right? I mean, wasn't he Oh, Cal's, he was Cal's, Cal's backup. Right. 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 And he was really fun because he was the old man. And the so I, you know, I remember thinking about that one and thinking, I, I'd like to know his story, but I don't have a heroine. And s- at some point, Jill Barnett said to me, well, yes, you do. I said, who? She says, Molly, Phoebe's little sister from the very first Stars book, It Had to Be You. It just one thing yeah. for another. So where I am now is... You know, I was really nervous with Dance Away With Me because Dance Away With Me was, it had funny stuff, but it was a heavier book. Um, Good ending, you know, it was still a romance, Um, but um, I was afraid readers wouldn't accept it. They would, but it's easier if uh, it's, readers will... Readers are just, you guys are all nuts, frankly. (laughs) Accurate. (laughs) Sure. Readers will say... I want another Chicago Stars book, but my favorite book of yours is Kiss an Angel or Ain't She Sweet or Breathing Room. You know, it's a non-star. I want want to say. (laughs) So I do like going back and forth, but I, you know, I'm, I'm so familiar with that stars world. I like to go back to it. So I did a first star I see tonight Mm -hmm. and I, oh, I created, do you like this? Do you see how muddled my chronology is? No, I love it. I could, I could listen to you do this all day, all day. Match me if you can. I finally had the sports agent. And oh my gosh, I love that because that brought a freshness to the series. I wasn't working with an athlete. I was working right. with a sports agent, high level, 
who needs a wife and he hires the matchmaker. I love that one. I think a million people have done that plot since then, but I I was early on with that plot. Well, a matchmaker plot is a classic. It's a classic. I mean. Um, So with that one, we meet all of a sudden. It's exactly what happened with Bobby Tom Denton. We meet the hero, Heath Champion, and that's not his real name. Um, we, We meet him and we meet his most, his, Best client, Dean Robillard. And Dean yes. makes Bobby Tom Denton look like a wallflower. Dean. <laughs> Dean. <laughs> it's like I'm hanging out with my best friends right now. I mean, that's the thing I think that, I mean, I know you just told me I was crazy and it's true, but it I think true. the thing that non romance readers don't really understand is how. Like, these characters feel like my friends. Like, I feel like right now I feel like I'm just, like, catching up with people I haven't seen in a while. (laughs) Right? I mean, there's a way in which we really internalize, I think, these people into our consciousness. Right? And I'm like, Dean Robillard, I haven't heard that name forever. I mean, I think if if on the middle of the street you're like, have you heard about Dean Robillard? Like, I'd be like, how is he? I mean, and that's (laughs) the thing I think people don't understand is how when you become a part of that world, when it's so fully formed. Formed, yeah. right? You want to be, you want to get back into that. You want to get again. back into it. Right. By the way, that that book takes place in Tennessee. That has my best opening of any book, bar none. This is the woman walking down the headless beaver, walking <laughs> yes. down the, the side of the road, um, and that book takes place in Tennessee. So when I did uh, Dance Away with Me, my last book. I deliberately, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't a Star's book, I sure. deliberately said it in Tennessee because, of course, I had no plot when I was starting to write it. I thought, oh, it would be so great if I set this up so that Dean and um, Blue Bailey, Dean and Blue, uh, could be in the story. And it turned out it never worked. It never worked. Well, but it's still set in Tennessee. And the thing is that that's what readers are. It's that Phillips cinematic universe, right? We talk about that with certain authors. And my books, too, are all in the same universe. Yes. So at any point, who knows? Somebody could wander in and out. Somebody, right? Exactly. And that comes my work. I mean, I'm fully inspired by universes like the Chicago stars where, because that excitement as a reader is so powerful when you're like, Oh my God, we're in Tennessee. Who are we going to see? You know, who are we going to see? And, and getting to see those characters again. So uh, when I saw those words, opera singer, but the backup on this is Mr. Bill told me, you know, he's always my, um, I know a little bit about football, but he's the one who makes sure I get my details, right? He said, Susan, you cannot do another quarterback hero because everyone except Bobby Tom Denton, who was a wide receiver, had been a quarterback. He said the right. Chicago Stars already have more quarterbacks than any team in the NFL. <laughs> That's the entire team is just quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about the opera singer, and I'm thinking, okay, for you, Mr. Bill, I'll make him the backup quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> and because of that, I ended Genius. up with the whole theme of the book. Right. Yeah. But it was accidental. I sort of stumbled into it. So then now coming back to Chicago Stars, thinking about, I mean, I wonder, I know that you, you know, you said you you never really think of it as I can't think of it globally as a huge experience. But, and I, that completely tracks. But my question is more about when you're, you're writing now in 2021, 
it's been a long time since you started the series, since you started writing, since yeah. you invented the sports romance. Right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, and I actually, actually, before we do that, I want to talk about that too, because I think there is, that is true, right? We yeah. we sometimes forget as readers, because romance moves so fast and it feels like there are millions of books out yeah, there right. and there mm-hmm. are millions of books out there, that we are still able to really touch the, the, the roots of the genre. Of, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And so... Can you talk about that, about creating the sports romance? Did you get pushback on sports from Um, publishing? What was the response back then? That's kind of an interesting story because I I feel like the generation I'm in with Jane Ann Krentz and some of the rest, we're that second wave that came in. Mm -hmm. The first wave is kind of starting to, to, a lot of them are deceased now, fortunately not all of them. And, you know, we're aging, but um, we've been able to see the sweep of what's happened with romance, which has been really fascinating. When I, the first sports romance was actually my book, Fancy Pants, which was about golf, the single most boring sport in the world. I've written... um, (laughs) I've come back to it though. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I love that world. I love playing with that world. Lady, be good. Um, I I have that and call call me irresistible. Those are my three big golf books. Um, so I start writing this book about golf because it's around the house all the time. Bill's a big golfer. I hate it. I'm the world's worst golfer. I love that you don't pay any attention to any of the sports. It's perfect. (laughs) It's exactly what I want. I played. The reason I quit was I kept crying on the golf course. This is true. (laughs) I would cry. There was was in golf when I played. (laughs) And I finally said, I hate this. This is ridiculous. I'm doing this to please my husband and he doesn't like playing with me that much. So give it up. But anyway, I I loved um, the idea of playing with this kid who grew up uh, hitting balls on these old golf courses. Well, public golf courses are all burned out. And I wrote Fancy Pants with my spoiled little rich girl, which is an archetype I love playing with. Um, The book was done. And only then did I find out that you weren't allowed to write about heroes who were athletes, yes, rock stars, or actors. Yes. You Tell could me. not write about that. I knew Why? that this was a weird rule because Judith McNaught had her movie star, too, right around that time, yep. I think. Yeah, and we, we broke through on that. And I assume, I don't know this for a fact, but it makes sense to me, that rule probably came from Harlequin uh, because they wanted to sell international rights, whatever, and they, they thought mm. they didn't want to deal with uh. that. Um, but that broke it open in terms, oh, with fancy pants, of having the athlete hero. Um, and I like the fact that I am, I'm not non-athletic because I'm a hiker, but that's my, that is my sport, hiking. Right. Anything yeah. that involves a ball is not going to come any place close to me unless it's a ball <laughs> of dough. Um, <laughs> and uh, now we have all of these sports romances. Oh, so yeah. All place. three of those Every things sport. are so popular, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, because rock star romances are huge. Sure. You don't see actors as often, but... You um, out. Can I ask a question, though? I, I want to dig in a little bit. Do you think it's also because there was this association with, like, sort of, like, a fast and loose rock and roll lifestyle that they wanted heroes who were... You know, I mean, was this like, well, does that make sense as a question? Don't you think early romance roots were 
a romance was kind of cons- a conservative, conservative genre. Conservative, yeah, yeah, exactly. I've never thought of it that way, but that certainly could be. Or did so they just think like it was too topical? and upstanding citizens, and if you're getting, like, how are you going to put a rock and roller on the page without talking about sex and drugs and rock and roll, right? So I could wonder be. if it was, I wonder if some of that was, I don't know who would know if you don't, but. Yeah, no, I don't know. And I'd like to know more about where the rule about, about the athletes. and We really should dig in. If you're out there, if you're listening, we know a lot of publishing people listen. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of these sort of rules that right. get sort of sort of whispered about in the genre that don't really exist anymore. But um, if you know where this rule okay. book was. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I love comments in the show. If you right. if you worked for Harlequin or Love Swept or somewhere you know right. in the old days, and you know about these rules, we want to interview you. Yeah, for posterity. Uh, <laughs> Susan Elizabeth Philip wants to know. I want to. I want to know. <laughs> um, but I do think it's. I, I do think it's kind of fascinating the rules we had. My advantage was I never wrote serious romance, so I didn't know there were rules. Right, it was right. Total ignorance, and I never went to a writing workshop. Um, I, I just was writing out of my own headspace as a lifelong reader. Right. If sure. I had been going to workshops, that would have screwed me up because I'm a rule follower. Rule follower. And, um, right. Yeah, that would have been hard. I think that would have messed me up. Yeah. So now here we are, 2021. We're writing. You're writing a Chicago. You're back in the Chicago Stars world. You're writing. I mean, there's a lot of discussion right now in romance about what makes a rom com. Mm-hmm. Right. People really like that language for contemporary romance right now. But I mm-hmm. think. Anybody would agree that a Susan Elizabeth Phillips book is a rom-com, one of the one of the right. true rom-coms. Truly funny, right? Yeah, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you've seen contemporary shift, what it's like writing, you know, contemporary now. Do you think about it at all? Or are you just sort of, you know, back in your world writing your opera singer? Um, it's tough as I get older um, to keep thinking of the whole idea of sort of that first, it's not first love, but um, that first massive love that's going to lead to marriage. You know, as as I said, 50 years we're going on here. And uh, in my, in my, my business brain says it is, my business and creative brain says it's time for me to start writing stories with older heroines and heroes because I know right, I I know readers love those stories and I love those stories. My problem is I'm not feeling it. (laughs) Right. So that's kind of crazy. Um, so I don't know what's going to so happen. That's surprising with that. to me, though. I mean, you've you've always had such a young voice. There's no, it's not the same with other. Right. You can see it in other in other writers that there's sort of a pull toward. Yeah, right. but yeah, no, it's. I'm not surprised that you're not feeling it. Well, that's that's interesting because you know I depend on I'm one of these people who depends on other people to define my work. I'm not good <laughs> at doing it for myself. <laughs> Who is? Yeah. yeah. Hey, can I intercede here? I've got a couple questions of my own. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excuse okay. us. All right. Ha- um, and you may have <laughs> you may have talked about this before, yep. and if you have, give me the uh, abbreviated version. But how did you two end up getting together to do this kind of thing, Jen? Well, we met on Twitter, as one <laughs> does. Um, you know, here's what. Okay, this is. I'm going to tell you my version of the story. 
So we were became friendly on Twitter and then like sh- like would private message when things were interesting or books we were reading. And I did a little bit of interior fangirling for like myself, you know. And then there was it was not quite so it wasn't as it was with Susan Elizabeth Phillips. And well, why should we're gonna have, have a talk about that sometime? <laughs> sure. So then we really bonded over our shared love of the Immortals After Dark series by Cressley Cole. And then we met in Chicago because, Sarah, you were here for Printer's Row Lit Fest. Printer's Row yeah. Lit Festival, which, I mean, I probably saw you both on the same day. and maybe Yeah, that yeah. was when so I remember that. It was ships hot in the that night. Day. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe you saw her hot. earlier and me after. Mm-hmm. It was hot. And we hung out after. And then at some point later that summer— this is what I remember. You said, maybe we should do a podcast together about Three Mortals After Dark. And I was like, okay, sure. And Sarah just asked me to do this thing, everybody. It's fine. Um, and I think the thing that was really cool is it then took us a while to actually, like, work through, like, what that would mean. What and would to, mean, right. We did a couple of, like, test episodes. And I think one of the things that was... I felt, and I think Sarah did too, is like immediately it felt like we had really good chemistry and sort of Mm -hmm. equal level of like love of the genre and like knowledge about like, you know, I mean, we've both been reading romance for so long. So I think it was just like a shared love of a common series. And then once we started doing Faded Mates, it really, I mean, we like, I don't know, people don't know this, but when we first started talking about doing the podcast, you remember this, we had a different name for the podcast. I don't remember this. Okay, I joke that we should call it Mortals After Dark, right? Wasn't that what it is or something? <laughs> I do remember Instead that. Instead of now. Immortals yes, After Dark? And I was like, maybe not. <laughs> right. And I think it turned out there's already another podcast name that we or something. We were joking around about it. And then, we I don't even remember who came up with the idea of Faded Mates. But in a lot of ways, I think we are Faded We are. Mates. Because uh, then, so that, we, you know, fell in love with Cressley's books, and we really felt the same way about Cressley's books, that they were really doing an interesting thing in romance. And mm-hmm. then immediately we wanted—we knew instantly that it wasn't just going to be about Cressley's books because right. we wanted to talk about sports romances and road trip romances and rock star romances and all the other things. And then when we finished the Immortals After Dark series, we thought, well, we should go back to the books that really made us we romance loved, readers, right. which is how we got to you. In the, I mean, right. we had already talked about you a number of times, I think, on the podcast in the first season, but we both really love Susan Elizabeth Phillips. And yeah. so um, that's why we read Nobody's Baby But Mine. Um, and so then the second season was all books that right. were, um, that we felt were cornerstone texts for us as Many of readers. which we had in common. I mean, I think that was the other thing. Like, we had sort of, or we'd come up with an author, yeah, and it was kind of Jenny like, Cruzy or, yes, right, right. Mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Joe, Sandra Brown. I've talked Sandra to, Brown. Um, yeah, I've talked hmm. to Sarah a little bit about this, but it might be interesting for your listeners. When, uh, during the uh, 90s, we, there were some academic papers out about about romance where the genre was being defined by uh, academics and it was not being defined well. And so Jane Ann Krentz, who had been very, very vocal and written a lot about the genre, 
um, decided to put together a book called um, Dangerous Men, Adventurous Women. And this was a, a collection of essays where we all spoke about the genre. We spoke about the, the various facets of it and the appeal of it. So we were defining the genre instead mm-hmm. of letting it be defined. Um, Jane especially, every time they wanted a quote about the genre, they'd go to, to Jane. And she was becoming sort of the spokesperson for romance. In, and the person who was, I think, the gateway to making academics and um, the press start taking romance more seriously. Well, as we aged and new voices came along, Jane and I talked about this, and it became evident very early on that Sarah Sarah. was going to take over the role that Jane had. And it was, um, I, I can't even... I'm going to kind of get a little misty thinking about it. So am I. (laughs) But it was, I said, I mean, Jane, I said, we just, it's like we're past the torch to Sarah now and it's in such good hands. And we sit back and let her do the heavy lifting. And (laughs) what she's done is she's taken the initial kinds of ideas that we were working with and she's taken them to a whole new level. So it's like, she's our baby. It's just been, it's it's been a wonderful thing. It's been a wonderful thing. Nobody's baby, but Susan Ours. and Jane's. Jane's and mine. Because yeah. Yeah. we didn't want all that work to fade. No, and we it wanted to go to the so next much level. Work. There was yeah. so much work that you all were doing. I mean, you were fighting. We talk all the time about the how time. we have to fight this fight constantly yeah. now, but it's nothing like it was. It was night. bad. No. It was yeah. bad. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and what, I have one more digression. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> this bombshell series that you're doing. Oh my God, Susan. No, it's so good. Mm. This is like the Avengers in your particular, with with these female Avengers, right, put into your universe. Is that what I'm getting? And the first book is called Hell's Bells? What a title. The the series is called Hell's Bells, and the book is called called Bombshell. Bombshell. Yeah. Who calls a historical romance bombshell? I love it. <laughs> Me. I love it. <laughs> okay, tell. And we have the same editor. So you can imagine that, like, when I sort of came up with the idea for the title, I, I was like, oh, is she going to, what's she, you know, her instinct is so solid. Yeah. And I knew that if I threw it at her and she didn't like it, it was going to be It was going to be dead. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Off. Mm-hmm. And I said, I texted it to her. And then about 10 minutes later, she was just like, I'm putting it in the system now. <gasps> Amazing. Oh, okay then. Yes. <laughs> it's so fresh. Yes. It's it, just well, thank so you. fresh. That was the goal. I mean, the idea was, um, what if we, if what if there were, you know, a vigilante girl gang who was <laughs> smashing the patriarchy in the 1840s? What would it look like? Um, and now it exists. There are four, there are many of them, but there are four sort of cornerstone members of this gang. Um, and the first book is kind of the origin story of the gang, like how it comes to be the Hell's Bells. And and this is end of August. Did I read that? Is that right? Right. August 24th. So I hope Netflix gets on this one. (laughs) This is friends. (laughs) 
is to Pete. I mean, this has, you know what this kind of, it's not the same thing, but um, what's the name of the movie about Sherlock Holmes? um, Enola Holmes. Enola Holmes. I mean, it's that same feeling, except with grown women. With grown women. And that movie was, I loved that movie. So fun. It was so fun to watch. Best things I've seen in ages. But it was really fun to write in the pandemic, too, because it was like, I wanted to get back to these the fun books. Like I wanted to, I felt like I had, I had really struggled over the last few years to write. I think my books, you know, I had, I had done okay writing books that were fun, but I really was trying to harness all those books from the nineties that just gave me pure Mm -hmm. shots of joy. Um, and so that was, that's the goal. And hopefully I, you know, hit it, but the, the, the idea that that we are in this con- I know romance is cyclical and we're you know we're always working through the genre is always working through the things that women are doing and that people in the world are you know particularly marginalized facing, people right. are, are facing mm-hmm. and um and f- I really think it's time for us all to revisit this idea of the books being really fun to right. read. Yes. Right. Um, and that's why I, that's the joy that I got from reading Olivia and Thad. And there is also that joy of coming back home in some ways, to yes. something that you are incredibly, that you love. Um, and so for me, Bombshell was, is really about, you know, revisiting all of those, those books that made the genre for me. And made me a romance yeah. lover. Oh, it's going to be so cool. It's going to be great. But, you know, I think one of the things that your all your heroines have in common is, like, a really deep belief in community. Yeah. Oh, yes. Right? And, a, like, a mm-hmm. real belief that the way that you—I mean, like, so we talked at the beginning about your heroines being, like, you know, women who know themselves and are on a journey. But, like, that journey is never about— Right? The journey is always about, like, who am I with and who am I bringing with me? Yes. And I think that's something that both of your books really have in common is, like, a really deep-rooted belief in no progress forward unless everyone's making progress forward. Mm-hmm. That's true. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right, Jen. Have you read Have you read uh, Sarah's book yet, Jen? I have. And, and it's amazing. Is it good? <laughs> yes. Um, I believe I, t- I texted. an unreliable narrator. Too. <laughs> Shut up, everybody. I texted Sarah. There's a part at the beginning where there's a bit of a kerfuffle in a bar. You can tell everybody it's a bar fight. There's a bar fight. <laughs> and I texted Sarah, and I believe the exact thing I texted was, I haven't felt this way since I watched Wonder Woman and the Amazons and the mascara in the first Wonder Woman movie. Like, that, like, rush of, like, watching these women kick ass, like, it was amazing for me, oh. and I loved it. I think everyone is going to love it. It's great. That is so cool. <laughs> and, you know, describing physical action yes. is interesting. One of the things... Um, more about me, uh, about with Can we please? It's okay, Sarah. Oh, just, just go, go along with the ride. Um, with rom-coms, some books make the mistake of trying to do slapstick as slapstick doesn't work well in a book. Incredibly difficult. You know what? Just this morning, I was at breakfast talking to my best friend about how hard it is to describe. Like, a big thing in a movie comedy is physical comedy. Yes, 
And it's very hard, hard to do to in writing. Do. And I think people try, and it's it just falls flat. Don't, really if you're right, if you're trying to write humor, don't go for slapstick. You can go for sort of a slapstickish punchline. Right. But you with um, and the reason I'm thinking about that is with you, Sarah, doing um, a book that sounds like it's got so much action in it. That's a writing challenge to make that action yes. so visible that you can see the the the. Uh, the movie unrolling in the reader's head. Right. Yes, but that's something that you have been doing. I mean, thinking about, talk about sports romance. So I want to get back to sports romance because <laughs> interestingly enough, you have really mastered this idea of writing a sports romance without ever without really- sports? Without sports? <laughs> no, without getting a deep- So sure. what Jen refers, so Jen refers to this as fossils <laughs> on the page, right? And it comes from old historicals where, you know, the, the heroine was really interested in fossils and then we had to learn about fossils with the right, heroine right, for, yeah. you know, 40 pages and no yeah, one cares no about one fossils. Cares. Just kiss already, <laughs> right? right? So, um, but I think that that is a pitfall that that- newer writers often fall into when they're, when they decide they're going to write a sports romance. They're like, well, I have to know, I'm going to write a hockey romance. So I have to know everything everything about about hockey. hockey. Mm -mm. And then I have to put hockey on the page and you do this really, I mean, let's be clear. There are some great football moments in your books. Not many. Right. Oh, but there are, I mean. It had to be you. Yeah. Yeah. When he catches the ball. (laughs) Right. But not, it's, I'm it's thinking that's many. the only one. That's that the only one. That's a big yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, because most of the they take place. But it's the archetype, right? And it's yeah. also the idea of the vocabulary and how this affects mm-hmm. the description. If you've got a quarterback, you're going to have a quarterback pass. You're going to have trash yeah. talk. I mean, mm-hmm. it's bringing that flavor right. in without pages and pages sure. of game description, which if you were writing for um, men who are sports fans, you would probably want more of that. I think of the old Dan Jenkins books. He was an actually early influence of me when I wrote sports romance. Dan Jenkins was an old sports reporter who covered golf and football. He's dead now, but um, but with uh, he was so darn funny. Uh, but he had a lot of sports because that's what the book was about. Sure, right. But with us, it's the it's the it's all about the character. A sports romance is not about sports, though. No. It's right. No, but you're so right, Susan, that it is in the writing because you're making me think about. So I've written a few boxers, and I've written one boxer, and I remember when I was doing, I was reading. Um, old, you know, the Library of America had a kind of best American sports writing, right? Uh huh. Um, you know, co- compendium, like a collection, and I got it. And I remember reading Jack London report. Jack London was a sports reporter. Sports reporter. And um, and I remember reading his articles about you know football or soccer or whatever he was writing about, and thinking like, oh, it's all about the cadence of the language. You know, when he's yes. writing about mm-hmm. boxing, everything's short and yes. tight, and you know. If you're writing about, you know, European football, there are these, like, right. you know, long, lingering, meandering, you know, sentences because they're running right. <laughs> right. a quarter of a mile. <laughs> um, so I think that's really fascinating. And, of course, it that's the first time I've ever thought about that. Well, you also have a sports. You have a specific vocabulary for sports. Mm. And football is rich in right. language that can be translated to romance, starting with tight ends. But I mean, I think, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's also Show okay. Title. So <laughs> it's a 
so, but it's also to me about character, right? So, I mean, okay, you brought up Lady Be Good. I've always loved Kenny. But one of the things that was really fascinating about Kenny was he is this amazing golfer. But he is, you know, kind of fundamentally everyone thinks of him as being very lazy. They don't recognize, like, golfing is a sport that sort of hides its athleticism. Yes. And Kenny was a person who hid Mm -hmm. his ambition and his hunger, right? And so underneath that umbrella of being lazy, like, oh, you know, you don't really have to go for it. The first sentence of that book is Kenny Traveler was lazy. Yes. Right. Um, And then, but the whole end is essentially like, you know, um, is it Dally? Who's what's the Yeah, Dally's like, the one who's right. on his butt the whole who, time. Yes, and who can totally like get into his brain, right? Like yes. essentially get, Dally and, and knows. Yes, Dally knows that he's not lazy at all. And so mm-hmm. I think the other thing is like, you know, Kenny Kenny's character could not have been a football player. Cal Bonner oh, had no. uh-uh. to be a quarterback, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's I think true. the thing that's interesting to me about Sad is he is a backup quarterback because he has this problem with his peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. So he is a man who is essentially, like, has all the gifts that a great, the greatest quarterbacks ever had, but because of this one flaw, was never Mm -hmm. able to really succeed in as a quarterback the way way others had. And I think that that was a really interesting, he was a really interesting character because of, his profession, not because I know a whole lot about quarterbacking or that that's on page, but because it, and that's the thing about like fossils. I'm like, if it's telling me something about who the character is, that's I'm down it. with it. If it's just telling me about football, I don't You're care. You're not. The, uh, I think also that the aspect of Tad that interested me the most of Thad was that because he's number two, I learned that one of the jobs of the backup quarterback is to make the starting quarterback better. So yeah. this guy is your rival and your job right. is to make him make better. Him better. Mm-hmm. And oh, rough. that just yeah, fascinated rough. me. Yeah. Can we talk about sex? Oh, I love, I love the sex scene in that book. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> How does an opera singer have sex for the first time with this guy? <laughs> Oh. I want to talk about sex because I think I want to talk about sex. I mean, we could talk about sex in this book because <laughs> I think you write a great sex scene. Um, but I also want to talk about um, when you're tackling these tackling these um, well these done, sports Sarah. heroes. You, I uh, thank you very much. Um, you are really in a few of your books. You have tackled not great sex. Yeah, and I think. <laughs> I mean, I think I've said this to you before, but nobody writes bad sex like Susan Elizabeth Phillips writes bad sex. And I think maybe my favorite is Ted Bodine. Oh, yeah. that's right. He's supposedly like the, the god yeah. lover of all, all time. time. Yeah. So and call me irresistible. Yeah. He is. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about using, I think this is another one of those moments where um, often readers don't, readers don't quite notice how important sex is to characterization. And can you talk a little bit about how you approach these scenes? I won't write a sex scene that doesn't advance character or plot. Right. I don't do a gratuitous sex scene because they are boring. No matter how graphic they are, they're boring. Um, It took me a while to figure this out until I noticed in my reading, oh, 
many years ago that I was skipping the sex scenes because mm-hmm. you weren't going to miss anything. It wasn't going right. to tell you anything mm-hmm. new. So I never know how those scenes are going to evolve, when they're going to happen. I just know that if it's not really interesting, um, it can be, I mean, it has to be erotic, but if it's not also interesting, it's just not going to happen. Mm. Right. And so you're, you, but what's interesting is you're not afraid as a writer to write a sex scene that's unsatisfying, right? That right. is yeah, doing, because yeah. it's emotionally satisfying for the reader either way, right? You know, mm-hmm. you think about Ted, I think Ted being, you know, not the greatest lover of all time <laughs> and shattering his own ego is really pretty perfect because I do love a Susan Elizabeth Phillips hero who is just so full of himself. Dumb, and then yes. like, yes. the heroine who's like, you're a big dummy. <laughs> yes. Um, let but me also that ego down to yeah. size. Exactly. Exactly. Who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Um, but also in Nobody's Baby But Mine, there is that, there are the classic, you know, un, unfulfilling right. sex scenes. And so, I mean, I think Jen and I talked about this in our deep dive, but those scenes are so perfectly written, too, because you ride this fascinating line of how the sex is going to play out so that it all feel, it doesn't feel squicky that this, right. yeah, you know, that this has all happened. Mm-hmm. And I just think you've done such a gorgeous job and you've taught so many of us how to write those scenes. Thank you. That's and scary. It's very them. scary. Yeah. <laughs> because you'd think it, it just is something that I kind of have to approach intuitively like I do most of my writing. I mean, I always say that it takes me nine months almost to the book. It takes me nine months to learn who a character is. It's one of the reasons that I'm not uh, I'm not a faster writer. Um, yeah. But I don't like to take try to push characters into things that um, are not consistent with the character that I've created. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it, just thinking about how these characters are going to have sex, whether it's going to be fulfilling, whether it's not, whether mm-hmm. um, it's just interesting to me. Right. Well, and I just think it's also helpful in the sense that it's realistic, right? They're right. It's the, I think Susan Elizabeth Phillips books are the first books that I can remember reading where it was like, oh, it's not always. Yeah. It's, it's not, not always perfect, great. Yeah. She's a virgin and look, an <laughs> orgasm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Bam. He looks at her and woo, there's an orgasm yes. just looking at his eyes. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that's great. Um, Jen, what else? We have a lot of things on our list. Where are you at? Um, One of the things maybe that's changed in romance is um, the way we talk about characters. And one of the things I really respect and admire is that you have created a lot of characters who are legitimately mean, bad to each other, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That they are not perfect, that they make mistakes, that they're, you know, they can when they are afraid, be cruel or unkind. And so one of my favorite books is Kiss an Angel, where he is really, honestly, (laughs) very, very terrible to her for a long time. And I was like, I would like more of this. And I think part of it is because, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is I think non-romance readers are always like, you know, it's, it's just fantasy, but I think it's not. I mean, I think it's about relationships, and it's yeah. like, how do we get to a place where we can really see each other? And I think that's, like, a really good book for, like, how do we get to a place where we can really see each other? So how do you, and I mean, do you still think that's something that's important to you when you sit down, or, or is every 
Or was it like writing Kiss an Angel different where you're like, these two are really going to be terrible to each other? I wonder if I could write that book now. I don't know that you could. Uh, with that tough a hero, it, I'd, yeah. I'd get a lot of kickback on it, but I also know yeah. readers would still love it. Oh, but the end. Uh, Boy, does he oh, grovel. He has, that is one of the best <laughs> grovels I've ever written. Boy, does uh, he grovel. On his knees. I talked about that with uh, another podcast with Learning the Tropes, and I reread it in its entirety. And I was telling them, I was like, I often really only reread the grovel. Like, I just, read, I just read his suffering. Just That's what make I him suffer. Yes. But the thing Delightful. about my books that the hero is also the villain in so many of my books. Yeah. That's the secret. Yeah. He's the villain because she has all these issues in her life to overcome. But the biggest one she has to deal with is him. (laughs) And that's the whole fantasy um, that I love is a woman who has to become powerful enough to not necessarily conquer, but certainly stay ahead of and stay with this extremely powerful man. The kind of hero I'm writing now and will continue to write is not the fashion these days. This is a real alpha hero that I've always written because it's the story I tell. And if I had a more of a beta understanding kindly hero, the heroine's journey is not, she's not going to have to be nearly as powerful in mm-hmm. her journey as she does if I've got mm-hmm. a really tough guy hero. So it's yes, to be well matched. my heroes are in many vo- in many ways. They're the villain of the book. I love that. I do but too. But also, can I just say that maybe my, I, I don't know, I go around and around on which of your books is my favorite. Um, but we haven't talked about Sugar Bath yet. And I think oh. she is so important. And I want to talk about her now with the, the hero yeah. is the villain. Mm-hmm. Because... The setup of Ain't She Sweet really does set you up to loathe Sugar Loathe her, yes. She's done things that are unforgivable. She's done a Mm -hmm. terrible thing. Yeah. And, but boy, do you turn that ship around by making the hero and all of his community the villain of the play. I mean... Oh, it's but, so good. I don't think I I could not write that book. That was, I, I mean, was so sympathetic perfect. to him. Oh, I was sympathetic to him and to all of them wanting to get their revenge. Yeah. At the same time, I knew Sugar Beth from the very first page was not the woman that had done, same woman who had done all those things. Yeah. So I was so sympathetic to her and so... I felt so strongly that they needed their justice. Gosh, but I I really am hard-pressed to think of another romance novel that so respects the heroine than that book. Like, there is such—you honor her growth in a way that, I mean, it is— she is, there is nothing even close to a stereotype in Sugar Bath. Her I mean, growth is so... pretty much before the book starts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I think I love about Sugar Beth, and what's hard for readers sometimes, is how she takes it on the chin again and again and again and keeps coming back. I love that about her. Um, yeah. And I think for some readers, that's tough. They yeah. like, why are they being so mean to her? Well, because... 
The old her deserved it. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Well, I think one of the things I guess that's interesting, though, too, is I I do feel like, so interestingly, I don't know if I've I've actually read that. I'll be honest. I'm like, I don't know that I read that one. Oh, read it. I think you'll like it. I know. Sweet. Uh, Yeah. Maybe I... Well, meanwhile, I say that I'm like I read them all, so how could that be possible? We That's should do also an interstitial true. on unlikable heroines, yeah, and, and that would be sugar, one, and that should be part of it. But in nobody's baby but mine, I will actually tell you one of the most like unforgivable things is actually in the romance in Cal's parents, right? The thing where she is selling the cookies and he pretends to not know his own wife, right? And I found myself thinking like. I don't know if I could have taken this scene from a main character. Mm -hmm. I could do it in, like, a secondary character, right? Because these choices have already been made. And I think that's the part that's also really fascinating is, I, I mean, and I think it relates to, you know, you have put so many, like, people make big mistakes in your books and really have to figure out, and and I that also felt so real to me that it's, years, decades later, even, before Cal's mom is like, that was real fucked up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And and I'm leaving, and we're gonna go, the three, like, women, and we're gonna live with my mother. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love that. So, I do think But that, he is 18 years old when he yes, does that. I have yeah. to defend him. I mean, it was a right. rotten thing to do. <laughs> right. But he's 18. And yeah. think about the things we've done at 18. Sure. I guess. Well, I, I could totally Doesn't do it matter. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> My son's 18. Um, I'm going to go yell at him preemptively yeah. just in case. Don't <laughs> you ever. Don't you ever. <laughs> That's but funny. I, but I do. I, but I think like that your whole response there is why it works. Because yeah. even characters who make t- do terrible things yeah. are still deeply sympathetic in your eyes. And in my that, eyes, yeah. And that carries yeah. through to the, yeah. to the rest of the Well, world. it goes to one of the things I remember long before I, I knew you, Susan, I took a course. I I sat in a workshop at RWA that you gave and you talked about, um, what is it? The six important words that you have to know as a romance writer and the, and the words were keep the reader in the story. Story. Mm -hmm. And I think, and you know, obviously you were coming at it from a, from a writing perspective, but I think there's something very powerful about those words as a reminder to authors that the reader is the most important thing and that when we come to any character, we have to come as, come at them as a reader. We have to think right. about how readers will feel, you know, empathetic toward these characters who are really going through it in yeah. a SCP novel. Right? I don't think about that at all. I do not think about the reader when I'm writing. Interesting. Um, uh, now, editing and all later what at some point I definitely think about the reader but when I'm creating I cannot think about the reader Mm. I only have to think about myself and how I feel about the characters and the situations right and that's what I mean it's sort of you're the reader in the moment yes yeah and (laughs) you're really feeling the characters in a way that maybe some right I mean I don't think writers are often asked to put, I think a lot of writers naturally put themselves into that, that, that emotional space. Right. Uh Uh-huh. You know, knowing their characters like a reader would, but, Mm -hmm. um, and maybe the reader word isn't exactly right, but knowing their characters Mm -hmm. that well. And, but I think that when writers hear that from you, it really feels like, oh, it is about, it's about having that emotional connection to every character. Yeah. Um, And, and. I mean that 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 phrase 
applies to so much about writing and reading about mm-hmm. the things that, that pull you in and the things that distance you. Of course, everybody's going to be different, but still. No, I mean, from a writing perspective, you have taught me. I mean, I have that. That's if I were, I'm not currently recording from my apartment in Brooklyn, but if I were, you know, that's on a post-it note next to my wall, there are other things that you've told me over the years that I hold very close that I'm not going to share with just everyone because they're <laughs> our secrets. <laughs> And our listeners. <laughs> I don't want but, them to also write well. But, no, but, but you know what? The other thing, though, that you say all the time, right? So if it's keep the reader in the story is why can't they be together right now? Oh, yes. Right? That's a big and one. I, that's a big that's one. Huge. And I feel like, you know, if I open a book and on the first page or two, I'm like, they could be together right now. Then It's yeah. very hard to keep going. Not, I'm sure it's a lovely book, but that is the tension that I am coming to romance for. How are these people going to make it past these impediments, whatever they are? And why, uh, that's also why you have to have something more than simple misunderstandings. That's, yeah. That yes. drives readers crazy yes. as well it should. Couldn't they just have a conversation? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so, but this brings me back to when stars collide, right? Because I know we're coming up on the end of our time, and I just want to bring it back to this book, because you've also done something kind of new here, in that there's a little bit of a mystery. There's sort of a yeah. twisty, mm-hmm. turny plot going on. A here. little bit of a mystery. <laughs> that about killed me. <laughs> yeah. That, this is a new thing, right? Um, I've done it before. I think this book has oh, a little more... one with the dogs. Yeah, I've done it before, but I have... Um, this one gets really twisty and turny, I, and it, it interested me. I, yeah. It was... It was it, I'm, I'm not a big suspense reader unless there's something really interesting about it, and that's what I'm hoping the readers feel. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that's another moment where I thought about you know, Jen and I have been talking a lot about how it feels like a lot of books right now feel quieter in some Mm -hmm. ways. And that's not pejorative. That's just Mm -hmm. sort of Mm -hmm. right now that seems to be the general feeling of romance right now, particularly in contemporaries. And this book doesn't feel like that. It feels like it has a real, like, a a straight shot of a plot that is there's a lot know, twisty of twisty turny, but oh, yeah. a real like story that you're caught up in. I mean, you're caught up in the story, right? They're on the road. There's emotional and physical, like kind of betrayal, and I mean, there's there is a lot going on. I mean, listen, there, I, mean, I don't want to give it away, but like the Chicago River, a place I hope to never fall into. <laughs> features very proudly at the end and as a Chicagoan I was like oh god <laughs> that probably is very polluted extremely um, dirty extremely dirty they um, actually did a big um, at one point the mayor and a couple other people did a jump in in the Chicago River to yeah. illustrate the point that this cleaned up a little bit from the days when the meatpacking industry dropped everything in it I've talked about everything. the bloody river but bro- bloody oh, yeah. before I won't do it again but yeah. I think but it, it's still Yuck. I know like there's a guy who's been jumping into Lake Michigan every day for the past year have you seen him yep oh yeah I saw the article about him god bless uh-huh. so but I think that's it it's really it felt like um also like regular people getting caught up in something bigger than them is also sometimes a fun plot right and yeah. if you have a heroine who is an opera diva you need that larger than life mm-hmm. canvas going on around her at least i felt that, yeah. that she needed that so um it's you know the, it pushes things a bit 
in the way of grand opera in my mind, at least. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, it's a really tremendous, it's so fun. And I love that I was saying to Jen before we started talking that I really love that she's an opera singer because I feel like that's one of those celebrities where you can really only have like one huge (laughs) opera singer. And so you you sort of fall into just the full fantasy of like, Mm -hmm. this woman is a superstar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love it. I love a superstar heroine. So... Susan, our time is up, but wow. this was amazing. Oh, was amazing. I love talking to you. We, you, you two are you. so interesting to talk to, and I always learn something. Well, the feeling is mutual. Absolutely. And um, we're just, we're so in love with you here at Beta Mates. You know, I'm in love with you as a person. My kid is in love with you. I love Lady so. V. <laughs> Um, I, you yelled at us, though. You yelled at me just because I made her do I, a few little things you were telling her not to do. But you were wrong. Yeah. I was right. S- Susan just <laughs> will roll in and be, you know, you, the resident rabble rouser with sure. your seven-year-old. Sure. Oh, Anytime you like. <laughs> um, but this was really wonderful. The book is When Stars Collide, and it is out now in stores, or it will be by the time this <laughs> runs. So you can get it right now in any store that you are shopping in. Um, you can get it online or in audio. And Susan, where can they find you if they want to learn more about you or find you on SusanElizabethPhillips.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, as far as Twitter, uh, honestly, Assistant Sharon ghosts for me there. I just can't keep I <laughs> I'm not good it's at Twitter. Fair. That's fine. It's fair. <laughs> but I have a lot of fun on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> so um, go find Susan there. Read When Stars Collide. We will put a full list of all the Susan Elizabeth books, all the Susan Elizabeth Phillips books we um, talked oh, about yeah. today in show notes. And um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank Susan. you. You're the best. Thanks so much. 